Live from the Toad Hop Network Studios. In Hollywood, this, this is the ToadHopNetwork.com. It is strongly addictive. Radio worth watching. Radio worth watching. This is Vox Populi. Vox Populi. The voice of the occasionally interested people. A political talk show for people who don't spend a lot of time talking politics. The only agenda. Understand, inform, and entertain. Now, here's your host, Sean Astin. Well, good afternoon. Just as of one minute ago. Uh, or three hours ago, if you're on the East Coast, or some period of time in between there. Uh, my name is Sean Aston. I am your host at Vox Populi, voice of the occasionally interested people. I'm learning more and more that maybe that title doesn't work, because on my Twitter feed, I, it seems that uh, lots of people are always interested. But I'm here with, uh, with my brother and uh, co-host, occasional co-host, uh, Mackenzie Aston. What up? And we've got Johnny Ice on the boards. That is his name. I've seen his birth certificate. We had kind of a birther movement going on here with Johnny Ice. And I was like, no, no, he's, uh, he's legit. He's bona fide. Anyhow. Well, you told me you'd give me $5 million if I presented it to you to get to uh, any charity of my choice. So, five, yeah. five million Kenyan <laughs> rupees. <laughs> no, just kidding. Oh, uh, it's terrible, Kenyan terrible rupees. joke, terrible joke. I do not mean to impugn anything. I am not a birther. Let me just say that for the record. For some reason, it just popped out. But because I'm not running for office, it doesn't matter if I make a mistake. Are you sure you're not running for office? I am sure, even though I, I did kind of tease people last night on the, uh, on the old internet. Um, no, listen, we have a lot of new uh, listeners today. Um, my followership, uh, wow, I almost said worship. Wouldn't that be nice? I think you did. If they follow worship mm, to you? Interesting. How many follow worshipers do you have? My uh, followership has increased uh, a lot since the release of The Hobbit. Huh. Uh, so I'm not sure how that's worked, but I'm I'm certainly uh, grateful to have the uh, the new attention. And hopefully, aside from my stupid birther joke at the beginning, which is not how I like to start things out, um, you will uh, you will learn to uh, enjoy what you hear. The whole premise of our show is uh, is about civil discourse, and so today. Um, Hopefully, we'll put on display a little bit of uh, the need for that when talking about issues of the Pope. What does that mean, civil discourse? It means that you uh, that in a community, right? You have to learn how to communicate. So, speaking with civility. I mean, you're looking for like the Latin root of the word civil. No, no, no. I just want to make it. <clears throat> I just want to make it particularly clear that you're talking about two, uh, people having uh, having a conversation about things that they feel strongly uh, for or against, uh, but doing so in a manner that uh, that reflects civility. Um, yeah, you can words, say like not, you effing jerk, sir. Yeah. <laughs> yeah you know no, but I mean. you're absolutely right. People can be uh, aggressive uh, and intense and passionate without. Um, without being really offensive. So I'm going to play, on that note, I'm going to play a clip. You know, one of the big topics uh, that we, we're going to cover today, it's one of the, you know, probably the biggest um, story in the news right now. It has to do with uh, gun control uh, in the wake of the Sandy Hook uh, school shooting right before Christmas. Um, it has is, it is grabbed the headlines in, in a way that uh, uh, gun violence is not... Um, kind of galvanized conversation in the country for a long time, except, you know, in the very short period of time, right after Columbine or right after uh, Virginia, uh, was it, uh, 
is it Virginia Tech? Virginia Tech or right after, you know, so there's usually a huge outcry and, and a pouring. Maybe uh, the president goes and consoles the victims, uh, it, depending on how, you know, egregious it is. And, and or, I'm not sure what triggers that response, actually. But um, and then there's a, there's a, an, an output and then it kind of goes away. But this one seems to have teeth. And uh, and uh, uh, president uh, has the president has asked Vice President Biden to. Uh, very, very quickly uh, get together with the people in Congress and come back with a, sis, uh, a series of action steps uh, before the end of the month. So they're, they're, uh, the, the gun control advocates of the world uh, are, are, are mobilized and ready. And so the um, – uh, Take an aim. Right, and the, and then the uh, I know the puns are so they're so easy, they're so available. Yeah, man, they just fire away. Oh no! Yeah. See what he does? That's why. <laughs> no problem. Oh, brother, it's easy to reload. Oh no! Uh, but anyhow, the the point is, you know what? what this issue is so awful, and we spent the last episode of our of the year talking. Um, uh, to uh, Professor Paul Finkelman, who's a constitutional scholar about the Second Amendment, and the the shooting was very fresh and raw, and you know it just was this heavy weight and this burden on uh, on everyone, and so the conversation everybody had a much more uh, subdued take on solemn. things. Solemn, it was yeah. solemn. It was it was it was gr- we were in a period of grieving, and and so to me that continues, um, and yet at the same time I don't think that. You can have uh, a conversation about something that's this complex, the resolutions to which are going to require real uh, mutual agreement uh, in, a, in, a, in a space of uh, where, our, where our heads are clamped down so hard. I mean, the, the you know, Twitter and, and the Internet and the way communication goes, even with the big news stations, you, uh, information flies back around and, you, and emotions go up and down. So I think it's important to have a healthy sense of humor. Uh, but all the while, uh, an important perspective, sense of perspective and, and everything else. So um, we're going to talk about a couple things on the show today, uh, or a few things. One thing towards the end I want to get into, uh, well, we'll leave that for the, the, the bonus topic. We'll, I haven't mentioned anywhere what I, what I want to talk about, so we'll leave that for the, uh, the diehards who stick with us for two hours or those who come on later. But, but um, the second thing that we're going to talk about after we talk about gun control, just to set it up a little bit, is food. Is food. food. Yeah, food. Food, glorious food. Food, glorious food, hot sausage and mustard. Mm, I can keep not going. so good for you. Not so good He's for you. He's putting in Savaloy. I could go. I could go. Why do you want to talk about food, Johnny? I have uh, in the last like 10 days, right after the new year, you know, if you go to like Williams-Sonoma or some of the, uh, the home cookery uh, places where you, you purchase pots and pans and dishes and that kind of stuff, Beth yes. Asimia, on their websites and things, right before Christmas, and right before, starting like before Thanksgiving, you see, you know, commercials for sauce pots and th- things. How you can, you know, carry more food in your in your in your plate. You know, this, just all kinds of rich, wonderful things. The second the New Year hits. All of the websites change, and you have juice blenders and like <laughs> <laughs> diet programs, yeah, and, sure. you know all that stuff. Sure, so sure. Uh, to that to that end, I uh, I found myself, uh, and I'll go into it later when we talk about. It, but I found myself really compelled uh, at this point in my life to um, do some serious research. So I've 
just in the short period of time, I've done, I, I've watched like six or seven documentaries. I've read three books and listened to one book, audio book, and uh, when I'm running on the treadmill, uh, and I've been, uh, I've gone through websites. I've had conversations. You've been doing some research. I have been diving headlong into nutrition and uh, the way that we eat in this country and, and how, try and figure it. Because I'll eat anything. I'm, you know, if this microphone were made of chocolate, almost anything, I, I could eat it. But, but uh, you also have a guest who's going to come on. Uh, perhaps, a, yes. A mutual friend of ours hopefully will call in. Yeah, he's got a, just a terrific story about uh, taking better care of himself. All right, and then I'm also going to have here in about 10 minutes uh, a gentleman is going to call in uh, who goes by the uh, – the well, I don't want to say gnome de plume. He's actually an author, um, monster hunter uh, nation. His name is Larry Corella, uh, and he is uh, New York Times bestselling author of Monster Hunter International series and the Grim Noir Chronicles and uh, the Thriller Dead Six and a bunch of other stuff. So he uh, wrote a blog post right after the, um, the 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 shooting in Connecticut, and it was in defense of uh, gun rights. And it, it was brilliant. It was really brilliant. I read it, and it was there's a little bit of antagonism, antagonism towards others and a little bit of kind of snide whatever, but mostly what it is is a very smart guy with a lot of experience uh, expressing his viewpoint. So Fantastic. I, 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 yeah, and he was kind enough. He's going to call in and, and jump on there. But the, um, the gun control last week, uh, as I said, we had Professor Paul Finkelman on the show. Uh, Dr. Uh, Finkelman... Um, uh, Professor Finkelman was uh, uh, he's a, uh, an American legal history and constitutional law scholar. Do you have a little clip from him? Did you were you able to find that? Yeah, yeah. There's just a, there's just a little bit of uh, it's it's about halfway through, maybe two thirds of the way through a discussion you guys uh, were having that started with some instruction about the uh, Second Amendment. Uh, it's um, Etymology, where it came from, uh, why it's it's you know the the what's behind it, uh, and I think it's <coughs> roots in Genesis and the co and the, the Constitution Genesis, and yeah. yeah, and I think I think right about here you're asking a question uh, about its its application in the present day. So, so he's he's a pro pro gun rights. Uh, I believe that. At, Whoa, is that me? I think I got the wrong thing up. All right, so. Where's that coming from? I, I just want to play the clip when you when you when you put your fingers on it because uh, he's a very strong pro gun rights advocate and um, and you know a, a liberal. I would say he's, I don't know if he he would consider himself a liberal, but I, I can I would think he's kind of a liberal. He he, he certainly wants to uh, move in the direction of uh, you know what is commonly referred to as sensible gun control. So here we um, go. Yeah. Is there anything in the Constitution that either protects or prohibits uh, Americans from having whatever arsenal they need in their home to protect themselves against the banding hordes of you know maniacs that would do them harm? Is there anything? Well, the, the Constitution protects your right to your property. Constitution says that the government take, can't take your property without due process and just compensation. The Constitution uh, essentially gives people enormous individual liberty to do many things. Uh, I, I think you're almost getting at it in a kind of a backwards way. It isn't a question of what does the Constitution protect, because the Constitution, as I said, sets up a form of government. And by the way, most of our government is done at the state level, not at the federal level. Uh, when there's a riot in Los Angeles, it's the governor of California 
who is going to be the first guy on on the scene. And the Constitution of the governor of, of the state of California undoubtedly gives the governor the power to declare martial law, to send in the National Guard, to send in the police, to close down roads for purposes of public safety. There's all kinds of legislation like that. Um, that's what the Constitution does. Uh, it doesn't either give you or not, not give you the right to say own a a pistol to protect your your home from invasion there's nothing in the constitution one way or the other it says you have a right to have that pistol that would be regulated by state law and the question is is how do you regulate that according to state law and one of the essences of a, of a system of federalism is that we generally give local authorities states or cities or counties vast discretion on what they are going to regulate and how they're going to regulate it. Uh, the question becomes, should the national government step in at certain levels of this regulation and say, we're not going to allow people to buy body armor? Because we know the only reason people buy body armor is to put on body armor to go shoot other people up and to rob banks. There was a I saw a commercial, uh, I saw a commercial okay. this morning. Okay, so uh, so you can see the basic framework of what he's talking yeah, about. Yeah, and it's something just occurred to me as as we were listening to to what he said a few weeks ago that that I think brings up an interesting point um, about the fact that those rights are for the most part regulated at the state level because in, instead of at the federal level, which is larger, it goes down to a smaller group of people that are deciding whether or not. Uh, somebody uh, should be able to, you know, uh, uh, carry arms or, or buy body arms. <laughs> Some of the state and, legislatures will have a and, lot more and, people. And what I what I think is what I think is interesting about that uh, is that it it's, uh, sets forth the framework, the idea that these decisions about what is right, what what is right and wrong. Uh, are, are made at a, a smaller level, are made at a level where there's there's less people involved, and and that and that sets in motion to me the idea that um, basically. The change that we're going to see, that that we hope to see, is going to have to happen at a level that is smaller than the government, that is smaller than the states, that is smaller than the counties, that is smaller than the cities and the towns. It's going to have to happen on an individual level. People, by and large, are going to have to come to the, to, to realize that there is a modicum of behavior that is uh, acceptable, and there's a modicum of behavior that is unacceptable. We need to we need to grow up. In a lot of ways, we really need to grow up. Mm-hmm. Now, that, that's just my own uh, personal opinion. No, I had that. Uh, I had that kind of epiphany myself when I was uh, I was running the other day, and I just sort of thought, you know, you can you you can choose what people you know have access to purchase legally. Uh, you can you know, there's lots of things you can regulate or try to regulate. And uh, there's lots of laws out there. And and uh, and when we talk to Larry here in a minute, he's he's I can't wait to hear what he says on. On them, but he makes a point about how there are thousands of gun laws on the books right now that aren't enforced, and I, I found that really interesting. Yeah. Um, but ultimately, yeah, ultimately we we have to uh, learn how to how to yeah, our our souls have to develop, you know, and not to right. be too frilly no, about and, the whole thing, but our spirit, comes- our 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 capacity for um, for empathy, and I say empathy uh, not just you know for 
uh, the victims of a shooting or even empathy as some of the the victims uh, families came right out and expressed empathy for the shooter mm-hmm. you know so so that's a, a little crucible of of human you know dichotomy there but uh, but I mean when in the gun control the 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 you know weapons conversation in this country if you don't have some sort of empathy for the guy you're talking to or the girl you're talking to whether it be somebody who feels threatened that you're going to take away something that's very important to them or somebody uh, somebody is frightened by what you're saying if if people don't respect each other's point of view we're toast either that or what's going to happen is the majority will pass a law there'll be a huge outbursts against it and then you'll end up just kind of going back and forth over time and you know as a as a society we're not we're not setting a good example for for future generations, you know, it's just gonna just gonna keep on. So we need to get to a place of of understanding. To uh, that end, oh boy. I'm gonna show an example here. This guy's gotten a lot of play over the last week or two. What's his name? Alejandro. Alexander. Alex Jones. Alex Jones, who is a um, a person that that I became aware of years ago, uh, who was talking about 9/11 conspiracy. Um, stuff and uh i found him uh fascinating uh, he, what he said was occasionally plausible occasionally outrageous um you know but but very a very interesting american voice is is what i thought of him he's gone on to embarrass himself and injure the cause that he's uh arguing for well, that's that's your uh, opinion that's your opinion well i i think he's certainly given voice to uh a feeling that a lot of people have a lot of fe- feeling that people are angry that you know just because other people do catastrophically vicious and evil things and shoot a lot of people and kill them it doesn't mean that the vast majority of the people who are law abiding gun owners aren't uh you know equally outraged by that behavior and imminently more responsible and able to you know take care of themselves uh, and protect uh, the others around them and and so forth so uh, I, uh, you know, oh, hold on, hold on one second here. This may actually be Uh-oh. taking a call. Hello there, this is Sean. Who's this? Hey, Sean, this is Larry Korea. Larry, I'm so glad you're calling. I've been uh, pitching you a little bit on the show here. Um, so welcome to Vox Populi. Well, thanks for having me on. No, I'm grateful that you're here. And, and Mac, uh, Hello, say hi Larry. to McKenzie. There you go. Hello, Larry. How are you? Hey. That's my brother Mackenzie, who co-hosts with me sometimes. Uh, I'm just—I want to play a clip, and I'm glad that you're on because I want you to listen to it too. And the point that okay. I was making was that uh, Alex Jones here is a guy who uh, is giving voice to the real, genuine anger and and uh, fury that people have and and want and need to express in uh, you know about you know having uh, legislation passed that would uh, infringe upon. Uh, rights that they ho- hold very dearly, and and uh, and and I think he he has an awful lot of knowledge and is a very smart guy, but uh, I think he does a huge disservice ultimately in reality to the to the co- to the cause he's kind of advocating for, because uh, the people that you know need to be convinced are not the people who agree with him, and he also has you know the the whole premise of this show is civil discourse. And uh, and so you're gonna you're a very powerful and strong gun advocate, and that's why I want you on the show uh, because I really want uh, to hear your sensible viewpoints and the, the wisdom and experience you have. But l- let's just listen for a second to what the gun control debate can sound like. I really want to play this Alex Jones clip because it it's so kind of 
um, it's almost it's almost comical in its uh, in its outrageousness and and uh, um, and yet there there's there's real uh, pathos in there. So take a quick listen here. Piers Morgan is interviewing him on CNN. Here's how this is going to work, and it's entirely down to you. I'm going to ask you some questions. In the spirit of a proper debate, and you've had a lot to say so far on the show, a lot of it aimed at me, which is fine. But I want you to try and answer the questions. It's a proper debate, okay? I'm not trying to trip you up. No, it's not a debate. You're running the okay. show. You bring in okay. your victims up front. Actually, actually to, no. Look, you got your little note cards. Okay. Okay. I just gave you FBI statistics Fine. that violent Alex, crime Alex, and gun crime Alex. is down over 20%. Alex, let me just ask you And this. you want to go to little factoids. No, they're not little Anybody factoids. can pull those up. Listen. Do you know what... Do you have a bodyguard? Alex. Why do you have bodyguards? I don't have a bodyguard. Yeah, I've seen you on the news with them. I don't, don't you want to protect your wife from hoodlums or you want to call the police? Let me ask you this question. Why does Diane Feinstein? until 60 Alex. minutes that she okay. plans Alex. to try Alex. to take Mr. and Mrs. America's guns. Stop Have you seen that over me. You Let guys me... want to disarm all of America. No, I don't. Diane Feinstein's no, don't. bill does I don't. gun confiscation. No, let me clarify for you. You don't seem to understand First what you register, then you confiscate. It's no. always done the same. Here's what the campaign on this Well, here, show. give me your little cue cards no. and I'll answer your questions for what you. What was the weapon used at Sandy Hook? I've already gone over that and already answered it for we you. We haven't talked about Sandy Hook. No, again. What I, was the weapon? It's a 223 M4. Right. Again, but it's statistically, an, right. they're using very low percentage of, ma of right. shootings, but period. Are you, are you but seeing, you guys, are you people wouldn't go swimming because the movie Jaws, the biggest, even though great white Alex, sharks kill five people Alex, a year. Alex, you're trying to scare people. Let me say something. There's no metal shark in the water. The same type of weapon was used in the last yeah, three and that's right. mass shootings. And Hitler used semi-autos to kill people. Why would you and not? so did Mao. Why would you? Why is the government armed into the teeth you, against us? Alex, I don't What have, about Fast and Furious? Alex, Why do our government ship guns into Mexico? All right, I'll, I'll stop it there. The, um, you know, I think, I, th I think, Larry, that, that a guy like Alex knows or feels uh, instinctively that the amount of time he's going to have on that show to express his viewpoint is limited. And he's defensive because he's seen Pierce Morgan, uh, who was equally, totally, uh, hold on, is that, did I lose you? Hold on here. Larry? Hold on. Larry, did I lose you? Uh, yeah, I think when you went to your clip. Oh, it dropped you. Were you able to hear it? I was not. I, I, I heard about it afterwards online, but I haven't seen it. Well, basically, I'm, he's I'm just... A little, yeah. I'm a little less high-strung. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I mean, I just think it's instructive for the conversation. Piers Morgan, in the, in the immediate aftermath of Sandy Hook, was... Uh, uh, just purple with outrage and, and upset and and used his platform with CNN to to really uh, browbeat and and uh, castigate and just he was just really he carried himself in a way that was passionate and understandable for those of people who agree with him. It was criminal to people who disagree with him. But as a matter of actual fact, it was just uh, it was just ineffective bullying that he was doing. And so this guy, Alex yeah. Jones, comes on and he doesn't want to be bullied like that. And so before he, uh, you know, not realizing that he actually has a little more, um, you know, to set the context of the audience, the um, uh, Pierce Morgan had this four or five day rush. We had lots of families of Columbine and families of a lot of the different shooting victims on the show standing next to people who are gun advocates. And then he would just basically scream down the gun advocates and try and embarrass them in front of the other people and make them make them feel bad. He ended up getting kind of a backlash. He sort of went too far and and he had to pull back. Well, at the moment of the interview that I just played that you didn't hear, uh, he 
he is uh, he's sort of chastened and needs to needs to demonstrate to his audience that he is, uh, uh, you know, capable of being a, a more fair moderator. So he's trying to do this new thing of being fair guy. And Alex comes Alex Jones comes on there, you know, loaded for bear, ready to just fired up and almost physically or he is, in fact, physically trying to intimidate him with the proximity and shaking his fist in his face and sweating and just looking really aggressive and and he and, and then doing any favors to my side and that's what I, that was that was my point that was my point so okay so with that um you know and and my audience it's funny some people will tweet uh tweet to me you know listen i don't agree with your politics and then they'll like totally get it wrong they don't know what my politics are um my i've tried to be very even i will say that i'm a left leaning uh democrat uh sort of uh um what do you call it, but a, a kind of faithful Democrat. But that's but my role on the show and what I've tried to do with the show is to be genuinely fair and genuinely even and legit and and uh and what I and, and the reason I want to do it is because I actually am, am good at it, which I'm gonna prove when we're talking in a minute. And I'm and I think it's the only way forward for anyone. So and I and and uh so let's transition officially The stuff's available on Barnes and Noble. It's a, it's a whole it's a world you've created. I'm I'm a, a, a familiar with the idea of going into other worlds. So it seems like you've you've created this world. So uh, what I brought my brought you to my attention is I have a frequent uh, listener viewer uh, tweet follower um, who um, who oh god he's blanking his name he he's great and he, he's oh he, you Brett no not Brett Brett's great too but no this this guy is a very um, Oh, I'll get I'll get in a minute. When you're talking a little bit, I'll scan through so I can I can say his name properly as I should. Actually, you know what? I know right where to go for it. Hold on. the The point is that he um, I think I finally won him over. Uh, it's Melvin Udall. It's Melvin Udall. Um, his exact uh, Twitter handle. Uh, I'll I'll say it later. But basically, um, Melvin Udall is is a strong conservative. Uh, I see that he mixes it up sometimes a lot with other people. Uh, and a very, you know what? Let me just tell this other person who's calling in to hold the line. We have kind of a primitive system here, so don't. Uh, oh, they're gone. Okay. Um, <laughs> I, well, I just hate people. I begged people to call in, and somebody calls in, and he, his, he was there waiting for a long time. So, uh, eight oh, uh, uh, whatever that number was. You know, hang in there when we're finished with this talk. Please call in. Uh, okay. So. He said to me, he was sort of won over that I could be fair. He was very skeptical about my ability to do that uh, on the show. And uh, But I think I kind of uh, gained some credibility with him. And so he, at a certain point, he just said, hey, why don't you check this out? And it was uh, it was a, a, a an extended blog post called An Opinion on Gun Control, written by uh, written by you, Larry Carella. Um, and it's, it's actually Korea, like the country. Oh, okay. Sorry, I'm probably blind here. Larry Korea. Oh, yeah, don't worry. It's Portuguese. It's hard. To, it's hard to love the Portuguese. <laughs> it's, it's a confusing last name. Uh, and your and and the, and your your Twitter handle is 
What? Uh, Monster Hunter 45. Monster Hunter 45. A good good uh, gun advocate uh, Twitter handle. All right, so I read this. Uh, I was actually standing. It was freezing cold outside. I was in my driveway. I was carrying a bag of things, and I was, you know, addictively, you know, scanning my Twitter thing. And when I saw the way he wrote it to me, the message he wrote to me, it made me stop. I clicked on it, and I stood there. I think it took me 25 minutes with with bags on my arms and the thing in my hand. And I was absolutely riveted with uh, with what you wrote on this blog post. It's a blog post. It's extended. I, I thought maybe I would um, just scan through and read a read like a paragraph or something for people. If you, I, I don't know how you feel about me reading your stuff out loud, but no, no, no feel free. Uh, okay, here's one thing. A little background for those of you who don't know me, and this is going to be extensive, so feel free to skip. <laughs> there you go. Uh, I am now a professional novelist. However, before that, I owned a gun store. Uh, we were Title Seven SOT, S-O-T, which means that we worked with legal machine guns, suppressors, and uh, pretty much everything uh, except for explosives. We did law enforcement sales and worked with equipment that is unavailable for most dealers, but that means lots and lots of government inspections and compliance paperwork. This means that I had to be exceedingly familiar with federal gun laws, and there are a lot of them. I worked with many, com with, uh, many companies in the gun industry and still have many friends and contacts in various manufacturers. Uh, we... Uh, at m various manufacturers. Uh, when I hear people tell me the gun industry is unregulated, I have to resist the urge to laugh. Um, I noticed some of the things you say are funny, but they're like kind of me. They're 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 not going to engender real friends on the other side. But uh, yeah, I, I tend to laugh in their face. But go and then you you go on to talk about a lot of experience you've had with guns, training people, uh, helping people with their programs and self defense, talking to people, teachers. Now, I um, basically for a big chunk of my adult life, um, that's what I did. I was a I was a firearms instructor. I was a pistol rifle shotgun instructor. I was a concealed weapons instructor in the state of Utah. I um, I've certified literally thousands of people to carry guns. Um, I've worked with law enforcement. I've worked with military. I, uh, I'm a former competition shooter. I've written for national publications on guns, gun laws. I was a subject matter expert on gun laws and self-defense laws at the state level. I've uh, testified before state legislators on, uh, on gun law topics. So basically, I, I've, been, um, I've been involved in it for a very long time, and uh, I mean, I, the only reason I put all that big resume there in the beginning of my no, I want was it just because. Well, I had to, I had to, I wanted to establish my credibility, you know, because I, last couple of days after Sandy Hook, I had been, you know, debating with people and arguing with people on the internet, and sadly, for a lot of folks, all their knowledge of guns and gun law comes from watching television and not necessarily reality, so. My whole goal is just to establish, look, you know, I've thought about this a lot, and um, I'm going to try to write this in a manner that comes across to the undecided and to those who are trying to seek information and not to those that are really, really already decided, opinionated, though they don't know the facts, if that makes sense. Uh, all right, so I was not the only person who got excited about it. What was your response from the uh, blog post? It was a bit of a surprise. Uh, it, was, uh, it was read about half a million times. We had about half a million visitors in the first week. And it slowed down a little bit, but not a lot. Um, it's still cranking along, and it's been reprinted pretty much everywhere. I mean, it, it, I guess apparently I put together one of the, one of the responses that kind of hit all the points that gun rights activists have been trying to hit. And so it was... And I wrote it in the hopes that people would share it. I just didn't realize it would get shared with the whole country. Um, same day I heard from you, I, I heard from Mike Huckabee, 
<laughs> I was like, wow, okay. Um, what did he have to went, say? Well, he, he really liked it, and he put it on his show and said, hey, everybody needs to read this. Um, he, whether, whether Whatever your opinion is on it, you need to read this so you can at least be informed on the issue. Well, I think what oh, you did Adam was... Baldwin, Adam Baldwin retweeted it right after I talked, had a conversation with you, and I was like, man, I'm going to go watch Lord of the Rings in my Jane hat. I, have, <laughs> I mean, I, I, as a nerd, boom. What a great day! <laughs> uh, lots of uh, lots of um, swords and bows and arrows in Lord of the uh, Lord of the Rings. There was one guy. One of the Urukai runs with a a bomb and he blows up the one of the bridges. So so there is some explosives in there. But the uh, but listen, I mean, here's here's the thing. Um, I think what from my perspective, what you were able to do was fill in reasoned, sober legitimate bona fide details where a lot of other people uh you know gun advocates were stymied because the the tragedy was so awful why why don't you let's start there tell me how how did you hear about the sandy hook tragedy and, and what did it make you feel well like most like most folks um you know i just caught it on the on the news and you know usually you'll, you'll hear just some little bit at first when the before the details are known um it's it's interesting to me because I I'm a little different than most people is because part of my career I had to make a uh, I had to really study these these shootings um, because I when I worked with law enforcement I uh, I would often serve as uh, as the what's called opposition force I was the uh, op four I was I worked in the military for a long time I actually got to ride with the op four in uh, in at Fort Irwin Training Center but in a mil in an army context but anyway so oh, you were op okay, you, yeah, you, you know exactly what I'm talking about you would role well, play so against you, you role playing. You, you you're playing the villain, basically, and um, so as part of that, you got to understand the why and the how and the tactics. So I think I come at these a little bit different because I spent so many years studying them and learning about them. So as soon as I hear about one, my first inclination is going to be, okay, what what were the technical details? How did it go down? And what could have been done differently? That is always really difficult because the news never gets anything correct um, when they first start reporting these. So. Well, what, here's the, here's then, the reason I'm asking oh, is because sorry, go ahead. Well, and then kind of the next thing I knew is it was the same kind of just basically verbiage and talking points that you always hear immediately kind of got trotted out, and um, and that kind of gets my dander up, I guess, because you know, like I said in the article, I've been I've been arguing these same points for a long time, and I've got some pretty pretty straightforward, simple solutions that would really really stop a lot of these events from spiraling out of control, but because they're not part of the kind of accepted narrative and part of the accepted political movement, they don't, they get quickly dismissed, um, if can, that makes can sense. I ask, uh, can I ask, you know, what some of those might be? No, no, hold on. Let's, we're going to get there in a minute. He's going to go through a good list of them. But before we get there, the reason I asked about uh, how you felt, uh, you know, I'm out here in Hollywood and we're very touchy-feely, uh, you know, about about our feelings. Um and and I, you know, I think that a lot of uh, gun control advocates have this feeling that there is a, a lack of compassion or a lack of empathy uh, for uh, the victims' families and for a lot of things. And and I find myself even when I'm when I'm 
uh, pressing issues that that agree with that, that agree with you know r- reducing you know guns and the uh, certain kinds of guns and certain. But but when I'm doing that, I I I try and say no. I know a lot of people. You know, my wife is from Indiana. My mom's up in Idaho. I've done a lot of work on you know military movies where you become friends with people who are experts in the military and expert law. I've always had a great relationship with law enforcement people, and and so I'm very comfortable around firearms and and everyone that I you know. Most of the people that I know, I would say, have, uh, and you also get like redneck idiots too, but, but I would say that, uh, you know, most of the people I know who are in gun culture in America are compassionate, loving, caring people. And I don't think, like, in yeah, the. Very much. Yeah, and in the, the um, immediate aftermath of one of these incidents, if the first thing that people see, I mean, you're a different case because of your, your expertise, but, I mean, do you think you're desensitized? Do you think you're desensitized to it? I mean, when you go into that analytical mode, do you think you're... No, I'm just more of a, I'm just more of a, and if you ask my wife, you'll get the same answer here. I'm more of a, I consider myself more of a problem solver rather than a, um, you know, a lot of people, they want to talk about how the problem makes them feel. And me, but I'm before like, we get to solutions, before we get to solutions... Or even well, because just... I, I, I mean, quite the contrary. I mean, gun people, the gun culture in America, we are just as compassionate. And believe me, we hate we hate this kind of thing. But our our response is not is more about what can I do to protect myself, protect my wife, protect my children, protect my neighborhood, rather than dwelling on the the sadness. I mean, yes, the sadness is is terrible. It's awful. I mean, I'll get into later what I did personally after Virginia Tech. That's what um, I'm talking about. Share that with me. That I want to know well, your person, like, because here's the thing: there, there is no for the people who died and for those families. There, that moment. See, our, in our country, and you, you tell me how you Virginia Tech clearly is going to be one that you're going to talk about. But you know, Kennedy assassination, the uh, the Challenger blowing up, uh, Reagan getting shot. The uh, there, there are any one of uh, you know 150 kind of national stories that when they hit everybody, the TV do, isn't just as you're kind of putting out there uh, a kind of vessel for disinformation it's also you know for better or worse and for accurate or inaccurate it's a a, a 9-11 you know it's a communal emotional ride that everybody goes through and, and sandy hook was by any standard that i mean the president the way that he flew oh, there yeah, the definitely. speech that he gave so i just wanted to know how you how you engage that and you you kind of answer that but but t- share with me your feelings about what happened during the virginia virginia tech thing well for example after virginia tech me personally i i woke up i uh, you know, the next day was the first time I really heard the news, and I mean, I was just enraged. At that point in time, I was a concealed weapons instructor, and I was like, I can't believe this. I can't believe this awful, horrible thing, because these were a bunch of, you know, 19, 18-year-old, 20-year-old, you know, people with their whole lives ahead of them, college students, and this one guy um, did this horrible thing, and they were stuck. And at the time, we were actually fighting a legislative battle in Utah, and in Utah, we are allowed to carry guns in school. Concealed weapons permits are valid in school. And I mean, I'll get into that more later. But So what I decided to do is, like, you know what? I don't want that to happen on my watch. I don't want that to happen in my place, in one place where we can make a difference. Um, so I put out an announcement that I would teach anybody, um, any college student, for free. Um, the year before that, actually, I had started teaching any school teacher Anybody that worked in a school, if you were the janitor or the principal, it was totally irrelevant. If you worked in a school in Utah, I taught you for free. Um, 
And so in the immediate aftermath of Virginia Tech, I I wound up teaching over twenty thousand dollars of uh, of free concealed carry classes. Um, just me personally, and I, you know, I'm just a young guy on my own business. <laughs> like I had an extra twenty grand laying around. I mean, I donated hundreds of hours um, and taught a lot of classes, um, and, and mostly because of my the whole thing was I can I can feel bad about it and do nothing, or I can try to arm the good people to prevent this in the future. And so that was kind of the beginning of my... So uh, those those uh, those people were not previously... The majority of, the, of those people were not uh, previously gun owners? They, they, in the, it was their uh, reaction to to that uh, Virginia Tech thing? Some were, some were. It was kind of across the board. Um, How do you know when you're teaching them if they're a good guy or not? Oh, that, you know, the thing is, as an instructor, all you can really do is put the information out there. Um, it's up to the, I mean, obviously, they, in order to carry a concealed weapon, you have to get a permit, and so you have to go through an extensive background check with your state um, for the 40-some-odd states that have that now. But you, um, it, it's up to the state to decide if they are eligible or not. The private instructors, all we do is present the information necessary in order to meet the qualifications to carry a gun. So, I mean, it's, not, it's beyond my capability to give any sort of background Dri- Driver's check. ed. You're driver's ed. I'm driver's ed. Yeah, pretty much. All right. A little, uh, little more intense, but yeah. It's a very same, fast car. Same fundamental principle. All right, so... Okay, so when you... Huh. I, I mean, I, it's... it's well, Raven and Arun, who's one of my, uh, you know, steady uh, followers and, and kind of loyals... Uh, wrote, why does there need to be sides when discussing how to present, gu- prevent gun violence? And and it's oh, it- oh very. I have a I have a very clear answer for that. Yeah. Um, there's two basic diametrically opposed philosophies here on how to respond, um, and and it's kind of a mutually exclusive thing where people truly entrenched in one camp or the other will never come to an agreement on this because we have it's two diametrically opposed philosophies. And you can't really have a compromise between two diametrically opposed philosophies because any compromise between the two is a huge violation of what the other side thinks. So, for example, on the answer, from my side, we've seen demonstrated repeatedly from everywhere in the world with every gun control law that they don't make any difference. They they harass the law-abiding. They make things more complicated, more expensive. Innocent people who are never meant to commit any harm wind up accidentally committing felonies. But the bad guys don't care. Criminals, by definition, break the law. And especially if you're, can I go quite a bit into the psychology of the, um, of the, of the mass shooters? These guys are about to go commit 40, 50 crimes. They're gonna, they don't care they broke some gun law. And, and then I go to the logistics of gun banning and banning types of guns and banning magazines. None of those things actually work, and they don't work in countries that are tiny, you know, socially homogenous, easily controlled small border countries. They'll never work in America. And then you flip over to my side. My side see, tends to see the answer as more bad people are going to do bad things. Good people, it's up to, our, it's up to us to defend ourselves and defend those around us. So to us, our answer is good people can respond and fight back and stop this kind of thing as soon as it happens. 
kind of you know the plan omega the we're the fire extinguishers <clears throat> i mean i don't want to get into the to the uh, you know over abuse of psychotropic drugs and everything else and well no i think that's a very valid kind of i think the psych i think mental health care and and psychotropic drugs that that conversation has to happen and i i don't oh, think extremely you're wrong extremely important larry, but i'm not an expert on that mac topic, has, so. no no i know mac go ahead and ask yeah. your question larry did you hear about this thing uh out of uh tampa um uh, last week where a, a, a fellow with a pellet gun uh, approached uh, a young couple. Uh, uh, so he... Uh, and he chose shoot, and pelican, and and he chose uh, not to shoot the. And this man's anything about that? Not familiar with that case at all. Oh, it's a fantastic uh, story because this is the guy, this guy is to me a perfect example of the, the right kind of concealed carry. Uh, you know, the, 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 a, a wonderful gun owner, somebody somebody who's you know uh, trained in in, uh, in in using it if necessary, uh, and then recognizing in the situation that he didn't need to end somebody else's life. Uh, it's just a, a, a beautiful story. More often than not, the vast majority of times that a gun is used in self defense, no shots are fired. Right. Right. Um, merely producing the firearm. Uh, I, 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 well, there's an old saying: if you look like food, you're going to get eaten. Um, and what it, what basically that means is criminals. Um, they're as good at their job as you are at yours. They're professionals. This is what they do for a living. They hurt people. They victimize you. They take your stuff. Whatever. That's their job. They're going to pick out targets that they think they can take advantage of. And you know, when you look like prey, you're going to get eaten. If you look like work. Now they have, I mean, if they wanted to work hard for a living, they'd go get a real job. So the fact is, when you now are, you know, when you pull out a firearm, you've gone from prey to work. <laughs> They're going to find a better place to be. Now, obviously, not always, because some people are just nuts, but the thing is, most gun owners, most concealed weapons permit holders don't want to shoot anybody. Mm -hmm. um, and, and like I said, we, we have millions of us now. My state, my little low population state, we have like two and a half million people in the whole state. We are, I don't know what the actual number is now, but I think it's over 300,000. And um, in the wake of Sandy Hook, our permits are going to wind up, we're going to be close to half a million permit holders in this state. And there's a lot of states like us, and there's not blood in the streets. There's not Wild West shootouts and all the things that they always predict. I mean, most gun owners, most um, people who go through the effort to be a concealed weapons permit holder, they're really just trying to, give themselves a tool in the toolbox to protect themselves. So look, and, and they're not doing crazy stuff. So, so just st taking a step back here, looking at it from 30,000 feet, there are, uh, I've looked up these statistics, but I don't know which ones to quote. 9,000, 11,000 gun deaths that are not suicides a year uh, in America. In your mind, is there, um, I mean, clearly it's unacceptable that that's what we, everyone would agree that it's an unacceptable number of gun deaths. Well, 
If you, we, if you if you really kind of delve into like the nature of shootings and where she's first off mass shootings like like the ones that really grab our attention and, and nail us in the conscious I mean just the consciousness of the country those are exceedingly rare statistically those are weird anomalies um, if you look at like most shootings in America most violent crime shootings they tend to happen for the most part in places that have the strictest gun control laws. They tend to be gang-related violence. They tend to be drug-related violence. When 600 people get shot in, you know, peaceful, gun-free Chicago, that's not the gun culture shooting those people. That's not my people doing the shooting. It, you know, you got your your hyper-violent gang crime. I mean, if, if people love to compare countries to other countries statistically, even though a lot of times it's apples and oranges. If you compare America to, say, Canada or England, we seem like a country that has a lot of shootings. But if you pull, you know, inner city Los Angeles, inner city Chicago, um, Washington, D.C., you pull those places out of the equation, the rest of America is about as dangerous as Alberta, Canada. And, um, Americans are not a bloodthirsty group of people out there shooting each other. Now, we do have a gang problem. We do have a crime problem. We do have a drug problem. Um, but it's you, you can't lump those things in together. I mean... Demographically, America is a lot more like Brazil than we are England, but our, our violent crime is way lower than theirs. I haven't so, I haven't looked at what uh, Diane Feinstein has put forward. I, I knew that she was it, uh, it's nuts. Well, sure, it's like a, it's like a bartering in a bazaar. She, I'm sure she puts everything but the kitchen sink in there, knowing that she she's not she won't get you know. Well, get it, it, let's just put it this way: if Diane Feinstein was to get what she wanted in this bill, um, it would it would. End, it would end lawful gun ownership in America. Uh, it would it would end armed self defense. Um, and basically, if you believe I thought what she was talking about uh, before the new year hit, what she was talking about, uh, uh, ex you know, the the clips, strips, and uh, and uh, whatever the word was she used, but to the, the the magazines that are that carry you know whatever they are, the the hyper magazines, and and also mm -hmm. she was talking about. Uh, uh, background checks, and she was talking about closing the gun hole, or the gun, the 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 gun show loophole. Uh, I.e., I, you don't have, you don't control your private property anymore. <laughs> well, I can address I can address a lot of these things like point by point. Um, one that comes up a lot is high capacity magazine, uh, which is kind of a misnomer because it's really just the number of rounds a gun was designed to hold. There's three ways to look at magazines. Um, first off, is tactically why do gun owners want magazines that hold more rounds of ammunition. Uh, it's because no one has ever survived a gunfight and got done and said, man, I wish I hadn't brought all that extra ammo. Um, you know, contrary to the movies and TV, a lot of times when you shoot somebody, um, you don't just shoot them once and they fly back and, you know, the, the fight's over. In reality, when you shoot people, it's usually they stop when they lose enough blood pressure to quit fighting. So in real life, it's not that rare with a handgun to have to shoot somebody five, seven times before they stop attacking you. All right, Larry, Larry um, hold, uh, hold on one second. Don't go anywhere. Hello, Vox Popula. Who's this? Hey, this is Sam. Hey, Sam. How are you doing? Good. I'm, I'm, I've got my uh, expert guest on the phone, but I didn't want to let your call go by without letting you know that I, I see you. And if you want to hold for a little bit, then I'm happy to have you on the air. Sure. Okay. Thanks, yeah. Okay. Bye for now. Or right, just hold on. Alright. Hey there, you Larry. Do it. All right. Go for it. Keep your keep your coming. It was uh, okay. Yeah. 
Oh, I think he's still got this Sam. Is, this is Sam. Sam oh, Sam. Wallace, uh, on Twitter. Sorry, Sam. All right, hold on. Hello, Larry. Yeah. Okay, sorry. Finish your point. Oh, I was just saying, um, so, and, and also, the, the whole reason you have a higher capacity magazine in your defensive firearm is not so that you can shoot more. It's so you can manipulate less if you have to shoot more. Um, but don't, be, don't people say, don't, if somebody's got to reload, like in the case with uh, the congresswoman who was shot, it was the guy reloading that gave a, a half a beat for the other, you know, you know people around her to, to tackle the guy. I mean, that's the... The 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 object that's the concept behind that regulation anyway. Yeah, see, I, I wrote another article one time called uh, "Thinking Outside Your Box," and what it is because people kind of always imagine what their gunfight's going to be like, and they make some assumptions. In the Giffords case, the guy um, he ran his gun dry. He went to reload. That bought somebody some time. They tackled him. Okay, look at that guy's picture. The dude was nuts. <laughs> anyway, the vast majority of these, and once again, these are statistical anomalies, but usually. Because the bad guy picks the engagement, the bad guy is who initiates, the bad guy is who picks the terrain. Normally, most of these shootings, where you see them in guys with lower capacity guns, they've either brought more guns, or they would go into a place, they would attack, they would reload, and then move to the next firing position. Um, that was kind of a weird, more of a political assassination by a crazy guy in a crowded place, but that's one instance. But then you start, you start looking at this, when you are a good guy, when you are a law-abiding citizen, you want more guns in your guns because you don't get to pick the engagement. Um, you don't control how tough the assailant is. You don't control how many assailants there's going to be. You might not have a nice chance to stop and reload. You might not have both hands available. I mean, you might be strapping your kid into your car seat in the back of your minivan when the guy attacks you. Um, so for us... Having more rounds in the gun, and rather than just some arbitrary political number because, you know, they looked down at the table and had ten fingers, so that's how many rounds you get. I mean, it doesn't really make any difference to the bad guys. Not that they're not going to, because once again, looking at the logistics of the law, even if you ban um, any magazine over X number of arbitrary rounds, it won't make a difference to bad guys. We've banned high-capacity magazines once before. No new ones were allowed to be manufactured for 10 years. And during those 10 years, it didn't make a lucky difference. We didn't even come close to running out. Once that ban expired, we all bought millions more. And then during the ban, they had new, brand new military and law enforcement magazines, higher capacity, over 10 rounds. Those mags were all stamped, military or law enforcement only. Possession of one was, when you want military or law enforcement was a felony. Yet all the time, we, you, know, you arrest guys committing crimes and what does the magazine and their guns say? Military and law enforcement only, because criminals simply do not care. Hmm. <laughs> a lot of these, a lot so, of the recent ones, they, they they were legally purchased, registered guns that were uh, they either got over the internet or this one kid is his mom had it or whatever. I mean, it, it, that argument is is valid, and I, and I've I've seen it used and heard it used and and sort of argued both sides of it, you know, in the in the nineties, and but it's it. It does seem like but just from uh, just from just sheer logistical perspective, there's more guns in America than there are people. Any ban that they were to do, um, okay, for example, uh, machine guns are still used in crimes, but machine guns were effectively banned in America in 1932. Most people don't realize that they're like, we should ban machine guns. Yeah, it's pretty much been done since 1932. So when my grandparents were little kids, 
they ban machine guns in America. There have not been any new ones manufactured for civilian ownership in America since 1986. All of them out there are collector's items, cost a fortune. Yet criminals still, I mean, you live in L.A., right? Or you live in the area? Yeah. You can hear automatic weapons fire at night in L.A. The thing is, those are not legally owned civilian legal ones because the criminals simply don't care. You know, we transport millions of tons of drugs into this country with a complete prohibition. We can't stop it. Doesn't it? They bring in weapons, too. They, you know, so a gun that's been banned since my grandparents were little kids, they're still being used in crimes because bans simply don't work. They only work on the law by you. All right, look, I want to go. I'm going to go to a commercial real quick. I'm going to hear what Sam hear Sam's thought, and then go to a commercial. When I come back, I want to I want to hear from you. You talked about uh, in your blog, and you, you sort of alluded to it here, is that there's thousands of gun laws already in the books, and uh, I want to hear how you, uh, you know, what you, I want to hear your position, your yeah, your take on on that. Sure. Hold on, don't go yet. All right, so hang on, don't go anywhere. Oh no problem. Uh... <coughs> Sam, are you there? Yeah, I'm here, Sean. All right, so I came back to you before going to this commercial break. Well, tell me what you got to say. <laughs> All right, well, I was, I was t uh, tweeting with my friend, and we were deciding what we should ask, because I was like, oh, my gosh, I'm going to call Sean Aston and talk to him and ask him some questions. So I guess here we go. So, so what you what'd um, you come up with? <laughs> Um, are you a plane or a peanut kind of a guy? Oh, that's right. I saw your thing. Uh, here's the thing. You're teasing the, what we're going to talk about the, uh, in the, the last sort of quarter of the show. Uh, I, I will eat plain peanuts, uh, M&M, plain M&Ms, peanut M&Ms. You asked a question about milk chocolate. I'll eat milk chocolate. I'll, I'll, like I said, I will eat the mouse on this mouse pad. There's nothing in this planet that I won't <laughs> devour with a, uh, with, with a, a pleasure and a passion. So, uh, I'm glad you called. Listen into the show and, and, uh, and give some thought to some of these political ideas. Okay. Yeah. I, I did listen, but I, I'm like 15 minutes behind, I think, because I clicked play too late. That's so all right. I wasn't See, give sure what section you were at. Give a thought to some of it, and then uh, it doesn't matter if you're behind. Give a call back in and tell me something political, okay, my friend? Hello. Hello. Probably went back to the. Uh... Hello, hello. Can you hear me? Wow. What's, I got not, not... What's, what's happening? Hello, can you hear me? You're on the air. It's Vox Populi. No, I can't hear. Him. All right, we're going to go to commercial. We'll be back in a minute and have some more of this really interesting uh, talk about uh, guns. Thanks very much, everyone. You're listening to the Toad Hop Network, radio worth watching. The Soda Stream Soda Maker is fun as hell. The kids are going to love it. There's 50 different flavors, and it's healthy. There's no fructose, corn syrup, or aspartame. So pick one up at Bed Bath & Beyond, Target, Macy's, Kohl's, and Walmart. Or just go to Soda Stream. To leave your house to shop, to crawl through traffic to the mall, just to find the thing you wanted. Isn't even there at all. Amazon.com is the answer. Shop at home in style and ease. Find exactly what you want. Ordering your steps of breeze. Books on tape. Games galore. Everything you're looking for. Kindle. Cameras. Electronics. Baby Einstein. Hooked on phonics. Blu-ray. Movies. And TV. Download. Music. MP3. Pixar. Disney. Microphones. Pet supplies and doggy bones. World of Warcraft. Nancy Drew. Sims. The Scruff System too. Click Amazon. You'll smile with glee. Sometimes shipping is even free. 
Hey, Toad Hop listeners, what's going on? This is Christian Harloff. And I am Mark Ellis from Schmoes No. We are the only video reviewers accredited on Rotten Tomatoes. Look and now, you. Christian, Look somehow we got our own podcast on the Toad Hop Network. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. We basically go back and forth. And we have a co-host, Katie Sackoff from Battlestar Galactica. We talk movies. It's just kind of back and forth, regular people talking movies. We start talking movies at tangents into a number of different things. Sometimes yep. we ask for it. Sometimes we don't. We take a lot of calls yep. from everybody in our uh, dutifully named city, Schmoville. Those are our fans. We have to take a lot of tweets. Yep. So make sure you check out the Schmoes No Movies podcast every Thursday night on the Toad Hop Network from 8 to 10 p.m. Yes, indeed. And if you miss it, go back, watch it on the ToadHopNetwork.com, download it on the audio from iTunes. Because, look, we see movies before a lot of people do, but we can tell you about them <laughs> if you like them, blah, blah, blah. You know, that kind of stuff. Tune your own horror there with our oh, press screenings. No, no, While you are at our site or you're on iTunes, yes. please leave a comment and rate the podcast. Make us number one because we need it. We have self-esteem issues. Is that hunk of junk you call a car always breaking down and leaving you in the dust? Log on to Dyson-Motors.com and check out Dyson's full inventory online. With hundreds of quality cars in stock of all makes and models, you can find the next car of your dreams in minutes. And know you're getting super low pricing. Purchase a car today from Dyson Motors and receive a year of free oil changes. Bad credit? Worried about financing? Log on and get pre-approved in seconds. Go to Dyson-Motors.com and find your new car today. Does your car smell like... You need scent bomb. Does your house smell like... Get some scent bomb. Does the bathroom smell like... Get some scent bomb. Go to GetSomeScentBomb.com today for the best air freshener you've ever tried. We are so confident that you will love Scent Bomb that we're giving away a free bottle to the next 12 customers to type in the promo code RADIO at checkout. If you're tired of weak air fresheners, try Scent Bomb. Scent Bomb is a concentrated air freshener, so all you need is just a couple of sprays and the smell will last for days. That's right, you spray it today and you still smell it tomorrow. We guarantee that it's the best air freshener you've ever tried. So go to GetSomeScentBomb.com and enter the promo code RADIO at checkout to get your free bottle today. There's nearly 100 fragrances to choose from, so go to GetSomeScentBomb.com. That's GetSomeScentBomb.com. With Gamefly, choose from over 6,000 titles. Play as long as you want and send them back when you're done. $8.95 to start, no late fees. Gamefly.com. Games delivered. A great website if you are in the market for gift-giving, redenvelope.com. They have over 300 unique and inspired new products along with their classic favorites that are going to make gift-giving very, very easy. All you have to do is go to redenvelope.com, enter Heidi and Frank at the checkout, and save 20%. Welcome back to Vox Populi, the voice of the occasionally interested people. Welcome to hour number two of Vox Populi, a political talk show for people who spend more time managing their lives than their point of view. Here's your host, Sean Astin. Hey, everybody, it's Sean. We're back. Um, really good conversation about uh, guns, and um, uh, we've got uh, we've got our expert on the uh, on the line, Larry Korea. Uh, but first, let me just tell you, the, the phones are lighting up, which always makes me happy when there's activity. We've got 10,000 people. I like them to listen, and I want them to hear other voices. So hold on. Uh, hello, you're on the air. Hello, hello. Hello, nothing there. Okay, never mind that one. Uh, and we'll go to this other one here for a second and see what we got. Uh, finished. Okay, we'll go back to uh, we'll go back to Larry. They're not there. Um, 
Larry, how are you? I'm great. All right, so jumping right back in, because it seems like two hours enough time. This 954 number. Hold, hold the line for one second, Larry. I'm sorry we're so like sure. uh, uh, old school with this technology. Uh, Vox Popular, you're on the air. Who's this? Hello, this is Natalie. Natalie, you're calling back. Go ahead and shoot. What do you want to say? Shoot. Oh, thanks, shoot. thanks for remembering me. Um, but, yes, I just wanted to kind of quickly recap on what the – I forgot the guy's name who was talking about the gun control and how uh, Larry Korea, Larry Korea is our, our gun expert who we've been talking to. Oh, okay, brilliant. Yeah, that he was saying that it wasn't going to make a difference if, you know, if you ban the guns and whatnot and, you know, because of the – you know the the um, the bad guys or whatnot are still going to attack the, the the people and the public, so it won't make a difference. Um, and I, and although I agree to some extent that it's not going to keep the criminals from attacking, um, especially that what we see what what we've seen from last events, I, I have to. I'm sorry, I have to argue and say that that the guns. I don't believe that the public should have guns unless they have a certified license. And if that's not the case, I think that. You need to put stricter laws on the on the police because their job is to protect their civilians. Civilians can hold guns, but more and more civilians every single day are having are having guns and, and shooting out. And even children. I was reading the news like a couple weeks ago of some poor kid who was carrying her, his dad's gun in in a school bus, and that he was showing it to his friends. Oh, look how cool is this! And he accidentally shot a poor 15 year old girl in the neck. Yeah. And lost her life because of that, you know? And so I'm not saying that we should be all vulnerable and we should get hurt because, oh, you know, we're, we're Americans and, yeah, we have liberty, but we're going to be, you know, naive for all that. No, obviously we need to have weapons. But we also have to ensure that the police guards who are, you know, either they're, they're doing their jobs or they're becoming lazy, which I don't know, but here in Florida, more and more police, got, uh, police people are kind of disregarding their, their obligations to protect the public, from what I'm saying. So I think that the government needs to put more force and, and the people who were who were trained to protect the civilians like police officers, police officers, um, um, the fire, the fire police department, whatnot, so, so they can do their jobs effectively so that we can feel more safe. And especially those people who, who live in, in houses, like I live in a gated community, and, and if something happens to the alarm, even if it was a mistake, two seconds of security is around our house. And like covertly checking if there's anything on the scene, you know. And so yeah, maybe someone might lose their life um, in in, the, in that time when there was like a, a huge accident at my house or whatever, you know, because they, you know, the police people they can't get here for you know uh, at least for like five or ten minutes. But we can we can make sure that that our our protection is secure and that there is someone looking after us. So because sooner or later. I believe that, like, in five years, ten years from now, when I myself have kids, my kids are going to have to train themselves to become their own police person, their, their own police card, because no one else can do it for them. Well, what kind of life is that? You know? So it's, it's like more and more every single day. We, as Americans, we have to kind of we have to fight for liberty. Obviously, we've been doing it since, you know, forever. But it seems more and more we're fighting for our freedom, and our freedom is getting taken more and more away. And I don't think that by us bearing arms, and by us carrying guns within our house, that's going to, you know, that's going to secure our protection, you know, for, you know, for, for uh, no matter how brutal or how hard, you know, the the, um, the, the attackers come in, into the house. Because it's not going to happen. You could accidentally, you have, you're not going to have a gun, and you could accidentally shoot your daughter. 
you know, or in the leg. Not necessarily kill the person, but in the leg or something, because you don't know how to use the gun. Well, just so you know, just so you know, Larry, our our gun expert has has trained a lot of people to help get them ready to get their permit. So he's he, I'm sure he agrees with with uh, some of the point you're making. It's a strong argument. It was well made, Natalie. Thank you for calling. No, thank you. And if I could quickly add um, that, um, Sean, that I I was gonna, I was just gonna tell you something, just you know, as an activist point of view, that uh, that I I have been a Lord of the Rings fan since it came out. And I just, I just have to tell you, this isn't a kiss-ass comment. Maybe it is, but what the hell, you deserve it. But I just wanted to, you know, just kind of congratulate you and tell you that I really appreciate you and the entire cast, Elijah Wood, Orlando, everybody, as actors. And I just wanted to personally thank you so much for providing us with these films that have become works of art, literally. Well, I... So, you know, you guys, you're my favorite character in the series. Well, one of them, the other is Golden, sorry. Um, <laughs> but um, but the, the movies were fantastic, and you guys, you all poured your heart to, the, to that. You did a brilliant job. So well, well we, I don't, you know, on the show, it, this reason I have a show is because I got a little platform as, a, as, a, as, a, as an actor. I don't talk about it a lot, but I really appreciate the compliment. And, you know, on my Twitter feed, a lot of people talk about Samwise and Lord of the Rings and Rudy and these things, and, and I, I really appreciate Appreciate the uh, the compliment, Natty, and I'm, and I hope you're a, a loyal uh, follower. Now we hear from you all the time. Yes, I'm going to be listening in every Thursday. Thanks, uh, thanks for putting it on Twitter. Yeah. All right. Bye for now. All right. Bye. Thank you. Bye bye. All right, uh, Larry, are you back? Are you there? I'm here. I just uh, I just wanted to you know I really encouraged on Twitter for other people to call in and and we've had such a good conversation and I've I've watched lots of calls come and go so I wanted to give somebody a voice and and uh, a lady made a very uh, strong case for uh, uh, she she seemed to really uh, appreciate the gun uh, that guns are a part of our life and that they're not going anywhere but she also just provided a counterpoint to what we've been we've been saying so but I want to get to this idea of the laws that are already on the books tell me. Tell me about them because you had, as a gun store owner, you had to be intimately familiar with these laws and to do a lot of paperwork to satisfy the requirements that the government made on you. Tell me about what's out there, what people don't understand and know about, and and, and why you think it's effective or ineffective. Um, I hear a lot of people talk about the gun industry like it's this big, monolithic, scary. It, mostly they're, they're, they're talking about like tobacco industry with like billions of dollars and propaganda. And, no, the gun industry is actually not that big. Um, it's pretty straightforward. It's extremely regulated. We have the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms uh, and Explosives. They are in charge of, of all firearms, uh, manufacturers, dealers. Um, it is a arbitrary and capricious um, entity at times. They have lots and lots of regulations, and it's very complicated. I see a lot of misconceptions. Uh, like, I had 2,000 comments on that big blog post, and one of them was like, well, you know, semi-automatic weapons are way too easy to convert, convert to full auto. No, not at all, actually. Um, any guns manufactured in America must be approved by the, or imported also, must be extensively tested by the ATF to see that they're not easily converted fully automatic, and up to including beating them with a hammer until all the safety devices break, which is hilarious if you think about it. Um, as long as it's not loaded, all, it's an interesting experiment. <laughs> but what about these laws? Are there, laws? are there any good laws? Are there any over overarching gun laws that that are that you were kind of uh, living under the influence of that that you think are good? Um, actually. I have very little respect for any of them, mostly because I saw that how ineffectual they were. Um, so, what are some of example, the most onerous? Yeah. 
Well, well, everybody in America that purchases a firearm must go through a background check. And I don't particularly personally find that particularly onerous. Um, but that's one of them that a lot of people have misconceptions about, that there's this, um, there's some, like, background checks work. Uh, they really don't. Um, all a background check is is that they, they run a criminal record check on you. They make sure you haven't been adjudicated mentally incompetent. And if you, you pass, then the dealer is legally allowed to sell you a firearm. Problem with this is that, like, these crazy people have been getting guns and going on these rampages, and everybody's like, well, we need to strengthen the background checks. Well, there is actually a thing in the background checks for dealers to deny the purchase of a firearm to somebody who's been judged mentally uh, incapable of having one. But it's not the dealers and it's not the background checks that's dropping the ball on that. It's the mental health system. Um, so if you want to look at strengthening it out, look at strengthening the mental health system. But here is why gun people are a little frightened when you come back. It's brought up because we've also had Democrat senators in Congress and float the idea of pretty much anything that they disagree with being classified as a mental illness, they wouldn't allow you to own firearms. Um, I believe, was it Cynthia McKinney? Brought, I have to remember now, but they brought up anybody diagnosed with PTSD should fail a background check and not be allowed to own a firearm. Well, you've worked with a lot of military people, so you know how common um, uh, being uh, prescribed as PTSD is. Yeah, there's, a, ra there's a range of people. Of, of, um, Correct. It's like a spectrum, really. Well, and most of them are not really that debilitating. I mean, it's, it's up to things like... Uh, extra stress and bad dreams, which, you know, that's very common. But we have Democrat congressmen and senators saying, well, yeah, throw that on there. You know, well, no, that's that's ridiculous because our veterans are who we want armed. <laughs> I mean, that's just silly. Um, there are a lot of gun laws. Every state has gun laws, too, so there's, there's the big overarching federal regulations. Um, but there's the state regulations, and every state's different. Um, and what you will find if you really delve into this is the states with the most onerous gun laws um, are usually the states with the highest crime. And, um, like, for example, there are only a handful of well, that, states. That, that logic, have, the logic tracks if your crime is really, really bad, disproportionate to everyone else, you, try, you pass a law to try and stop it. It's not like the laws well, are passed and all of a sudden. These laws have been around for a really long time, too. Like, you look at Illinois, uh, New York. And also, most gun control laws really do have racist origins, because in the olden days, the gun control laws were brought about in order for the upper political class to keep down the classes they found threatening. So if you look at New York City's history of gun laws, which have been around since the 1800s, um, and they were to, you know, because they were worried about Irish and Polish immigrants. And you look at um, the first gun registrations and bans in America, they were in southern states post-Civil War. And it usually was, well, if you're a part of the, of the upper social political class, then these laws don't apply to you because you're one of the good guys. But these people that we don't like, we're going to violate their rights and we're going to disarm them so they can be victimized. So when, when did these, this, this new um, level of lethality and, and uh, the, the semi-automatics, and when, when did they broadly become... Uh, available to the public, you know, uh, you know, when did they, when did they? Oh, for, they've been, they've been around for fundamentally for forever. Um, if you think about, well, I guess what I'm saying is I when did the like, technology get to be where it's at now in the last 30 years, something like um, that? Since the 1940s, basically. 
And uh, the most common gun in America now is one that was introduced in the 1960s. All right, hey, hold the line for one second, okay? Hold the line. Sure. Hey there, 949, I've seen you've been calling. T- talk to me, you're on the air. Hi, hey, I have a few questions. Um, I don't know that you'd have the answers, or Mr. Korea, but... I probably um, wouldn't, one but... One thing I look at with uh, gun control, I never see it, would be the statistics. I mean, there are a lot of guns out there. There are a lot of different calibers out there. Now, I do hear numbers as far as gun violence. I don't hear it broken down to um, self-protection and gun crimes. Um, I'd like to see the numbers as far as what the number of gun crimes are and what's used for them. You know, if if 80% of gun crimes out there were committed with an AK-47, okay, I could see putting restrictions on AK-47. However, if 90% of the self-protection that takes place out there is also with an AK-47, then that doesn't really help a whole lot, does it? All right. When I switch back to Larry, I'll ask him if there are resources, uh, you know, places where he can direct us to go look at those that are that are uh, credible from his perspective. I mean, it's, it's uh, you know, it's one of those hard things. Anytime you look at budget numbers, it's like, well, who's cooking them? Is it the CBO? Is it the, you know, Treasury Department? Is the, who, you know, is the White House? It, it, you, it, sometimes numbers, uh, if there are hard statistics in the way they're organized, hopefully uh, he'll be able to draw them to us. I would think also that should be reflected in the laws. I mean, if if you're looking at a ban on the magazine rounds, that includes you know a thirty aught round as well as a twenty two round. Well, you know a twenty two round, um, it would take like what eight of those to match the weight of one thirty aught round. So, putting a he ban made a, he on- made sort of a tactical. Uh, argument that uh, uh-huh. that in uh, against the idea of uh, uh, banning those uh, extended clips, and I, I, was, I didn't follow it a hundred percent what he was saying, but he, you know, he he made a he made a, a case. So, uh, and your your other question? Well, those are those are the questions. Basically, should it shouldn't it be based on what type of guns are being used for crimes versus what crime or what type of guns are being used for protection? And gun caliber should also be a factor in there as well, I would think. I mean, all right, it's a good, uh, it's a really good, it's a really good question. We'll uh, we'll put it to him and we'll see if I can come up with an answer myself or at least a uh, a feeling about it. Uh, Let me jump off for a minute. Thank you for your call. Thank you. Hey there, you're on the air. We're going to go real quick. Who who is this and what do you got? Um, my name is Diane. Diane Linda. Hi, Diane. Hi. How are you? I just wanted to make a comment about the gun situation. Yeah. Uh, basically, um, what happened today at the school, if that was a semi, we'd be talking, we'd be, we'd be, uh, the news would be uh, doing a completely different story today. Um, the other issue is, uh, mental health. Uh, it's a ridiculous argument. You can go to any gun show and buy a gun and you don't have to do a background check. Obviously, we need to do something with mental health in this country. But the amount of guns that are out there and the semis that are out there, the rounds that are out there, it's enough. You know, uh, I'm sorry if this has probably been said a million times on your show today, and I'm sorry but to repeat it, but I think today proves that point. No, I mean, I, uh, I think everyone, including the gun uh, folks, 
believe that uh, it's enough. The question is what to do about it. You know, I mean, it, we uh, you just look at the amount of them and you look at the severity of them. The fact that when you go to school, you go to a mall, you go to a movie theater, you go to a church, you go to a mosque, you go to wherever you want to go to. It's entirely possible that somebody's going to walk in with a semi-automatic machine gun and, and kill a lot of people. So it, it has I don't to believe the guns and folks feel that way. I think that they really honestly believe that the government's going to come in and encroach on them. And, and, and uh, for some reason, they feel that having a semi is their only protection. It gives them some sort of upper hand in their fight, whatever their fight is in their minds. Well, everybody, um, everybody has fear. Everybody has fear from somebody or something. I was afraid you'd say that. Uh huh. And so uh, the the uh, people with who want to uh, who feel the right to owning guns is is important. I have a fear of not being able to protect themselves. And and you know, one of our, our previous caller had said, uh, you know, you really got to let the let the cops have more than everybody else, and hopefully let the cops do it because they're trained, they're experts. They you want to be able to. I want to be able to pick up the phone and dial nine one one and have somebody show up if something bad's going on. The the gun folks would say that in the response time when there's a lag, they don't want to feel like they can be totally victimized. So you know that feeling of fear is a real feeling, and and it's the, the you're not going to get buy in from gun folks unless you uh, address it on the on the face of it, and a lot of people don't. So I think you and I probably come at this um, from the same exact point of view, but I also have uh, a lot of affection for people who are strong gun advocates, and, and I think they're smart people, and I want to, you know, give them the benefit of the doubt and then find a way forward. You know, he, our expert Larry was saying that there's the, the philosophies are so diametrically opposed that you just never get them to be reconciled. Well, that's not good enough. We have got. I, I'll I'll disagree with them to, to him with that. Uh, you, there, you, we must. We must. You absolutely have to. <laughs> There's no alternative. All right. Thank you for your call. I really appreciate the uh, the the, uh, the the gun control uh, side of the, the debate having a voice because it's a show that's sort of dedicated to uh, the pro gun side. So thank you for calling. Thank you guys for taking my call. I appreciate it. Yeah. Have a good one. Bye, Matt. Bye, Sean. Bye. Bye. Okay, going to all right, Larry. You're back, Larry. It's you know it's so frustrating. If you were sitting here in the studio with us, you and we took a call, you'd be able to hear the call, you'd understand why you were waiting, and then you'd be able to respond to what the caller was saying, and we could talk about it. Unfortunately, we have a we have a a, a, a system that doesn't allow for that's, that's for pretty that. interesting, well, Sean. I'll just I'll just assume that they were all positive and everyone agreed. They did. Okay, Mac, what were you going to say? Well, no, it's just interesting that, that the, the, I mean, the, the system here at the Toad Hop right now is, I think, kind of reflective of what's going on in our country. It's, it's that <laughs> people can't necessarily hear what the other That's side awesome. has to say. Thank you for that, for setting the, uh, thank you, Johnny Ice and the, uh, the uh, Toad Hop Network for, for, for facilitating that real world, uh, you know, environment to, to have the, the debate. All right, so one guy wanted to know, uh, he, he was really, he really was talking about statistics and wanting to know and understand the statistics. He thought that the caliber of weapon was an interesting thing to investigate, and he thought the, that at the very least the laws should uh, reflect some understanding of those statistics. And I, I kind of know where you're going to go with it, but why don't you go there on your own? Um, well, I, let's see. I'm not really sure exactly because um, caliber-wise, it... Um 
I'm not sure. Is he saying guns are too powerful now? Is that what it is? Or I think I think uh, I and I can't put words in his mouth, and I couldn't have you ha have him ask you directly, unfortunately. But I think he was saying that if you've got a higher caliber weapon, that it's you know the capacity to do more damage is there, and that you know maybe. Oh well, that's that's actually interesting because um, not necessarily so. In fact, when you think about like people always bring up. If you want to get into statistics, they, they bring up assault rifles, which is a term I hate, and you, you read the article and you know why. Yeah. Because it's kind of a nonsense term. It doesn't really mean anything from an actual mechanical or even legislative perspective. It's just a definition of this gun has these features I don't like, let's ban it. How about military-style well, military okay, weapon? Okay, so military-style weapons. Here's the, here's the kicker. To us gun people, we refer to the military-style weapons in use today as intermediate caliber. Because in actuality, most of them are chambered in, a, in, a, in what's called 5.56 or 7.62 by 39. These are actually, compared to most rifle cartridges, not particularly powerful. They are less powerful than any any given deer rifle. Um, so if you go anywhere in Idaho, um, get Grandpa's elk rifle out of the closet, odds are it's a 30-odd 6 or a 300 Magnum. It is quite a bit more powerful per, per shot than a standard uh, intermediate cartridge weapon. Um, it really, here's the thing, it's, it's not like the movies, it's not like video games where people have hit points, people have blood pressure in real life. And the fact is you're poking a hole in them. That's pretty much what it comes down to. Bigger guns are more powerful and they're going to do more tissue damage than necessarily the guns used in these mass shootings because they're shooting you know, innocent children who are hiding, that the power level of the gun is really kind of irrelevant. Now, where you want a powerful gun is when you are defending yourself. Um, now, personally, I, I have another article about different types of guns for home defense on the blog. It's linked, but I'm a big fan of these same intermediate cartridge rifles for home defense purposes, because if you use the right kind of ammo, they will be very effective against an attacker, but... They'll also break up faster through building materials and be less likely for the bullets to leave your house hey, um, than any standard handgun. Can, Larry, can I ask so, you? Can I ask you a, a sure. kind of a, kind of a wacky uh, uh, question? Um, I mean, because I. I I have a, a tremendous amount of respect for your depth of knowledge uh, in, in in terms of uh, you know the the hardware, um, but would you and if, the tactics. And the tactic, but just for a second, if you would in, in, indulge indulge me in, in sort of a, a, a fantasy, if by some you know uh, magic way uh, it was possible to get all of the guns out of the hands of all of the bad guys, would you be willing to lay down your arms? That's an interesting question. So basically, if you were to develop magic, yes. Yes. <laughs> well, here's the thing. There's actually a great article out there written by um, uh, written by a very talented author, and it's called "The, the Gun Is Society." The what? Um, the what? Say it through, again. The, the Gun Is Society. The Gun Is Society. Is okay. Uh huh. I believe it's written by Marco Cruz, a uh, very talented author, and um, in that he kind of goes through that because that's a, that's a hypothetical thing. This brought up. Well, if all guns, if if a gun ban could actually theoretically work through some as of yet you know, unheard of mystical reason, would you be willing to give up your guns? Well, here's the kicker. We've already had a point in time where bad guys have no guns. And uh, we call that the dark ages. And uh, basically what happens is, once again, criminals don't care, and they will hurt you with whatever the most effective right, thing yeah. available is. Yeah, yeah it, it, was, um, it was fantasy. 
Well, okay, I don't know. I'm I six mean, six foot five. Um, just give you an idea. I'm six foot five. I'm a big, thick set, heavy set guy. Grew up on a farm. I loved martial arts when I was younger. So, you know, I probably in my youth would have been okay <laughs> compared to most people. My wife, you know, she's an average sized woman. Um, she she got into a violent encounter one time against a guy, and the only reason she was fine was she was able to produce a firearm, which is the ultimate equalizer. And really, the firearm is the single best tool ever invented for, for self-defense use. doesn't matter if you're old, you're young, um, you're smaller, you're weaker, um, you're outnumbered. The firearm, you know, they, they had the old thing about, you know, God made man, Sam Colt made them equal. If guns were to be magically whisked out of existence, then I'd be really scared of guys with crossbows, pikes, you know. You mean, you mean the, and, you uh, know. My, the Second Amendment right to own a, uh, a, yes. a long staff? Yes, the, <laughs> the crossbow lobby. <laughs> uh, As I'm yeah, talking to you guys in my would... office, because I'm, you know, I'm a fantasy novelist, so in my office next to me I have a, I have a samurai war club. I have a, I have a, I have a tetsubo on my wall, so... <laughs> well, I've been in I've been in a lot of parlors like yours, sir, and I uh, I think I always find it uh, I always get a have, get a kick out of uh, that uh, the medieval and the other the other kind of cultures that have their their own yeah their their own relationship to fear and violence and uh, and and there's there is a there is an oh, to weaponry. Weaponry. I love guns. I love them. I lo I think that they are amazing pieces of technology. The the engineering that goes behind them. The 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 sense of um of of uh, just uh, what's the word I'm looking for when you have like uh not uh, not design but uh, it's like er a ergonomics. Yeah, ergonomics with the mathematics of it and that kind of thing. If you look at them, you know, not in the context of how they're used or how they're owned or how the society is. I actually love firing guns at targets, and I, I've never hunted actually with a gun. But, uh, but, but that, you know, that um, there used to be a time, maybe it was the fifties, where the prevailing narrative, at least. Was that you could take your lunchbox and go to school, and you could, you know, and the family could go out and get ice cream at the shop down the street, and you could drive your Studebaker or your, you know, your your Bonneville or whatever. There, there was a time in the '70s where, even after the Vietnam War, where you got the sense that people had had come to a place where where that the, the violence was kind of abhorrent to them, and and you know, irrespective of the 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 threat of of gun law and gun life that's that's happened there that you've been on the spine of for so long there was this feeling in the country that was occasionally different and and when terrible things would happen there was shock and and uh you know and everybody knows that things happen all the time but now it just it feels like you know i know a lot of gun guys so i when you're talking i know where you're coming from i can compartmentalize your uh the specificity and detail that you you give when you're describing board weapons and this weapons that weapons and I and I and I, it, I don't locate that uh, even close to the the argument the, the kind of the 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 uber argument about about gun control but I know that my liberal friends who are listening to the show are ready to you know to to uh, you know 
go for irony to blow their brains out because they they uh, they feel like when you're when they hear the kinds of language that you use that it is it's that there's a, a desensitized quality to it that there's a there's a, a, a lack of, there's a, a, a remove from you know this huge outcry and outpouring that people are having to want to do to to want to do something and and not, not to, and just have, be so fed up with it that you know there's that, that it doesn't there's a disconnect and right now the the you know the NRA just walked out I read on the news while you were uh, giving your last uh, breaking down their your last answer that uh, you know they were disappointed because essentially the the um, the uh, conversation they felt with Biden was just uh, totally an assault on the Second Amendment, which, from my discussion with a constitutional scholar, I don't think it necessarily was. I think it may be an assault on the stringency of gun law, but I don't think it's necessarily at the Second Amendment. So I should probably have a an NRA uh, expert or, or you know the the or uh, Justice uh, um, uh, what's his name the the bully guy. Well, the um, just recently the Supreme Court upheld. Um uh, you, you may want to look it up. It's actually a very fascinating case. It was Washington D.C. versus Heller? Yeah, we talked um, about it. we talked it a lot. We talked about okay. it a lot. And and the guy okay. and the, it was Justice um, Scalia who wrote the uh, the majority opinion on it. And um, you know it was it was a it was a law enforcement guy who went to D.C. He wanted a, a, a concealed weapon permit and he was denied the permit. And he went through the courts and he got a thing. And and ultimately they uh, they said that uh, the court sort of. Uh, got behind his right to have that, and uh, no, it was actually I don't know what the constitutional scholars said, but uh, it was actually a pretty clear thing. That the Second Amendment was an individual right to be armed with a equivalent modern arm. Uh, and in Washington D.C., wasn't for Heller wasn't trying to get a concealed weapons permit because that was impossible in D.C. unless you're a rich politician. Oh, I thought it was concealed. Um, no, no, it was actually simply a firearm. Part of the part of the thing in D.C. was they have these onerous storage laws that for the few people that did have guns, you had to have them stored in a manner that were like completely inaccessible um, should you need them. Um, I think what he, I think what the constitutional scholar was saying was that it was a precedent that would that would not likely. Uh, uh, there the, the was it was a weak precedent, is what he was saying, and and uh, we we looked at it. Mac, you pulled up a little quote from it, didn't you? Do you remember the? the uh... Not offhand, I can remember. <laughs> remember uh, all right, let me um, let me go. In. I want to spend the last uh, half hour of the show talking about food. So, are you a foodie? <laughs> I love food. I'm no expert on food, though, except I love to eat a lot of it. Yeah, me too, me too. All right, listen, you you um. So, well, I'll give you the last word before you, you get off. The the idea that you know arming every teacher while, or at least every school, a guard in every school, well, or the principal. Just to clarify, I, I I don't believe in any sort of mandatory arming of teachers. All I think it, it basically my my position comes down to this: um, the president says he wants to have a national conversation on guns, but until they're willing to entertain the idea of allowing concealed carry in schools, like my state does. Then it's not really a conversation; it's a lecture. Um, well, there's a much you can now. I don't know that that's fair because it's. I mean, there, there's a thousand salient points to get at. So to sort of say, I'm not going to engage the conversation unless that one particular point well, is. Here, uh, here's the thing that I was talking about this. There's a lot of potential solutions people are throwing out here. My my solution is quick, easy, available tomorrow, and cheap. It's basically free, um, and. We already know that it can be done because we're doing it now. And we have 
people, and there are states in America that are doing this now. So it's basically, all I'm saying is it's a fire extinguisher. It's teachers don't need to be Navy SEALs or SWAT cops. They just need to be speed bumps. Most of these guys, when they are confronted they don't, with a they don't want to be. violent response, they surrender or they kill themselves. They don't want to be. I, I went to a school like a couple days afterwards or whatever, right before the break. I can't remember exactly what it was, but it was in the, it was in the aftermath of it, uh, of the Sandy Hook. And, uh, and uh, I was, it was at a, uh, a science fair. Or no, it was a, like a like a world. It was a world fair where the kids had each done a a, a report the, uh, picking. Was it a country? No, it was a state. It was a state fair, and they they'd each picked a state, and they they had to do a whole thing on their state, and they stood in front of their diorama and gave you their pitch for why New Hampshire was the coolest state, or why why you ought to come to Texas, and they would have clothes on, and they did all this kind of thing. And I leaned over to one of the teachers and uh, and just said, "Hey," I said, "How you doing? You guys okay? Just know we we support you." And the teacher, and this was before. The NRA had made the gun, or maybe it was right after the NRA had made the guns, uh, the teacher's gun. She whipped her head around and looked at me and said, I don't want to have to carry a gun in my school to teach my kids. And I was like, whoa. Well, she doesn't need to. Like, she doesn't need to. I mean, as, long as, the, as long as the computer science guy's got one. <laughs> well, no, honestly, I, cause I, remember I taught hundreds of teachers for free. And, uh, I mean, a good friend of mine who's still an instructor, he taught, in the wake of Sandy Hook, he taught a class of, I think it's 250, 300 teachers. At one time, she might not, and that's perfectly fine because it should be a thing where you're willing and uh, capable and able to make that decision. But I guarantee in her school that I can go into her school and I could find four or five people who have the proper mindset, have the desire, very possibly military veterans, uh, very commonly. I had one school um, that I taught where they had a violent incident actually happened at the school where the school, they actually even had a school resource officer. Um, who turned up AWOL um, during this during this event. Afterwards, the principal kind of went around to his teachers. He um, showed up to my class. I think it was, it was the principal, a shop teacher, an administrator, like a history teacher, and the janitor um, came to my class. Because after this event they just went through, they knew that should something bad happen, they were the first line of defense. And... If something bad was to happen, otherwise, I mean, the only other option was to hide and pray to God not to be the next one to die for five to ten minutes while the bad guy could be completely unmolested. Well, I, I would be open. Want to, I, I would be open to that conversation. I'd be open to the conversation. I, it makes me sick to my stomach to think that that when a, a kid goes to school, part of their awareness has to be that there's a gun on this campus because it changes something. It changes something in the mind to, to someone like you, to someone like me, maybe, uh, you know, to, to, to others who are very conversant in, in gun life, that idea, um, they're comfortable with it. They know that there's a level of badness in the world, a level of violence in the world, a level of gunplay in the world, and that, and that, unfortunately, you know, as a as a matter of reality on planet Earth, you the uh, you know you can either stick your head in the sand and ignore it and may, and leave yourself open uh, to to be victimized, or you can do something about it. That 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 mindset is okay with it. But there's a lot of other people for whom um, it just. It just, it's just not, it's just not inspiring. It's not, um, well, it's not as healthy it, as it can be. It's one of those things where it's not, it's not a happy thing, but uh, neither is going to the doctor. You know, it's is my doctor going to be armed? Cancer. <laughs> I'm going to the doctor. It's going to suck. But you know, I, it's it's not a positive thing. But here's the thing: the beauty of concealed carry is no one knows who has a gun. 
Is it a deterrent effect? You know, you know. You don't know. I know. If your teacher, if you're sitting there for six hours a day looking at your teacher who's got a gun like on their belt, you know, like even if it's covered up by that, first of all, it then changes the clothes they can wear, which changes their religion. <laughs> My spelling's going to improve. <laughs> I'll tell you what. Uh, yes, well, ma'am. If, I'll depends, if they're one of my students, you ain't going to catch them. <laughs> all right. Let me let me uh, let me just say this. Describe for me before we get off the phone with with you, uh, Larry. And I, I really appreciate your time and your uh, the way you uh, you know t- talked about your your position. Um, how do you give me your Give me Larry's vision of America. What's Larry's vision of America going forward, knowing knowing this? Like, if you if the gun laws uh, stay the way you want them to, and you are giving your State of the Union speech or your your uh, uh, what do you call it uh, your inaugural speech or something like that, what what is what does Larry say about it? Well, it'd be much for me personally. Uh, it'd be much bigger than just guns. Guns are just one topic of many. I am all about personal freedom and accountability and responsibility. I believe that my fundamental philosophy comes down to this. People own the government. The government does not own the people. That's it. Well, that's not very inspiring. (laughs) 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 I was all sitting back waiting to, I'm an actor. I can like, I can inhabit the skin of this thing or that thing. It's fine with me. And I'm like, I'm waiting for the soaring rhetoric. And you're like, see, I write the stuff. I'm brilliant. If you put me in front of a word processor and give me half an hour. All right. All right. Well, fair (laughs) enough. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, Larry, uh, wait, you got, was it something else or no? Uh, no, um, Thanks for having me on. I, I said, if any of your listeners are, Want to read that article? It's on my blog, um, Monster Hunter Nation. Just Google Monster Hunter Nation. My last name is weird to spell, so that's the easiest way to find me. Uh, like I said, I am a I am a New York Times bestselling novelist now. If anybody wants to check out my stuff, I'm available in bookstores everywhere. Larry Correa, author of the wildly successful Monster Hunter series, uh, has a Should web. Should I ever get that made into a movie? I got a part. You would be. I'm done. I'm signed up. Just tell me when to show up. I'm ready to go. That's great. We can write off the whole show. <laughs> uh, Larry, Larry Korea, uh, at, uh, dot wordpress.com, or if you just look up on Google, Munter, uh, Monster Hunter Nation, uh, you can be exposed to a, a guy that I think is fantastic. Larry, thanks so much for calling, and let me talk to you. Well, thanks for having me on, John. I appreciate okay. it. Okay, Mac, you look like you're gonna, your skin was gonna peel off your skull <laughs> listening to it. Uh, I know that the, uh, the liberal, uh, followers, I've been scanning along with the, uh, the, the Twitter feed, they're, they're just they're going out of their mind, which is, which is silly because we're not going to solve the problem on this radio show. They're not going to solve the problem listening to this radio show. All we can do, it's like a, the way I look at it is it's like a song. You know, some people hate rap. Some people hate like heavy metal. Some people, you know, hate classical music. But if you sort of go, you know what, I'm going to listen to this song for a little while and, and hear it. And then afterwards I can go, you know what, I get why people like that song even though it's not for me. Or you can go, it's absolute trash. I hate it. Or you can say, hold on, I've just re- dumped out the rest of my iTunes and that's all listen to so your thoughts mac i just want to say you know can we can we all get along can we can we get along um rodney king uh the uh who's who's whose weapon was what it was uh being black yeah, i guess yeah the um uh, so so you any- know oh there's there's so much in in there you know, and, and you know the inc- incredibly reasoned uh, arguments you know and 
I, I just, I, I, the way, I th- hmm. Mm-hmm. The way I think the way that I am uh, uh, built is uh, different. I just have I, I have a different um, you know structure. I, I just I, I I can understand uh, you know all the points that he makes, and they're and they're great points. They're valid points. I I I I'm, you know I I guess I I just uh, I wish I, I, I wish they didn't have to be made. Well, I think that we teach our children that we want to live in a peaceful world. And in our holidays and our, and our, our, the, the times that are special for us, we, we say, you know, may peace be with you and also with you and, and shalom. And, uh, you know, I don't know, how, how do you say it in, uh, you say it in, in uh, Arabic? But there's a good, good Islam. Way. Islam. Oh no, no. Assalamu alaikum. Assalamu alaikum. Isn't that peace be with you? And also, isn't that what oh, that is? I think so. Right. Okay. You've got it in every language, and and the idea is that human evolution, human civilization, really, you're either you're not standing still. You're either moving forward or you're moving back, and you want to believe that you can you can have that the biggest problems you're going to have in this life deal with your own uh, limitations that that you can go as far as you possibly can given your capacity for language or math or creativity or science or or what whatever it is that you can be an elevator operator or a rocket scientist you can be that in America the idea is you can pull yourself up by your bootstraps and you can be whatever you want and whatever you fight to be and and that implied in that concept is in a, in a in in peace, you know. I mean, the military folks that I know really well. Uh, when I worked with the U.S. Army, they, their thing was uh, like the last person who wants to go to war is a soldier because they know what's going to happen in the war. They they might be killed and not be able to be with their family anymore. They you know killing killing other people while it is uh, while they're trained to do it. While uh, this one guy when I was flying with the Blue Angels in F F eighteen, uh, and he was a, a pilot who had gone off an aircraft carrier for two years in uh, or two tours in Afghanistan. I asked him what the what the best part of it was, what the most satisfying part of it was. He said when we're in when when you're providing close air support to your to your troops so you've got your soldiers who are about to die on the ground and you come in and kill the enemy he's like that was satisfying but he took no pleasure in the actual fact of the killing of it so even our even our soldiers on some level i mean I mean, I remember talking to a guy named General Clark down in uh, in, in San Antonio, and, and I was was right after uh, a, a bunch of the guys from the Third Infantry Division had just gotten back from the Thunder Run, and when they 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 screamed into Baghdad, they basically went farther and faster and with more lethal capacity. They basically they won the war in a hundred hours, kind of thing. And and uh, and I was talking to these guys, and and their PTSD was a lot more severe than what uh, Litter was describing. And uh, and I, and I as I was hearing their stories and listening to them, and like up late drinking. I don't know, bourbon, or whatever, late into the night with this general uh, and this and this captain and me and with just the three of us talking. And uh, and I said, you know, and I felt guilty. I had this guilty feeling. And, and I said, you know, what? I'm, I feel a little bit ashamed. And, and the general said, why? And I was like, well, because on some level, like, I, I like it. I want it. You know, like I get the kill, I get the 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 power of it, and and I felt I felt you know that 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 was not a, an okay thing to be feeling, and he sort of took a break and he, a breath and he said, well, I think that's I think it's natural to feel that way, and then I thought later, like, if you're a you know if you're a colonel in the uh, 
in the army or general in the army, you want people who want to kill and fight working for you because you want to be able to win the war. Their job, you know, a military's job is to fight and win wars. But somehow to me, even knowing all of that, I want, I want to live in a peaceful world. I was reminded of uh, George Bernard Shaw, one of the characters in Man and Superman, uh, says, uh, in the arts of nature, wait, no, in the arts of... In, in the art, art of war? In the arts of peace, man is a bungler. Huh. In the arts of war, he outdoes nature herself. Um, and that's, that's what I hope... Well, let me let me let me let me let me make the point about the the way the gun uh, 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 argument is happening right now in this country is that I think a lot of times gun advocates don't you know seem resigned to the fact that we live in a world where guns are real and we have to operate with it and people on the other side want to believe on my side if you will if I can take a side want to believe that it's our job not to be okay with that. To want to get us to a place where, you know, I mean, I like what the one lady said about the about the police, you know, that you that you um, uh, hope that the police are better armed than the criminals or the legal gun owners that you want. You know, to me, the the trade off, I wonder what the what the statistical trade off would be where if you said there were no, you know, the, the gun the amount of legal gun ownership in this country was vastly reduced, and there was a, a serious effort to try and clamp down on illegal uh, gun uh, ownership. You know, if it was really clamped down, if it went back to what it was 20 years ago or something, I don't know. I, I don't know the statistics, so I'm just making stuff up. But the, the uh, you know, would it be, it, would you, knowing you could go into a school or a mall or a church or a synagogue or a mosque and a and uh, uh, in all these other places where you think you're supposed to be a movie theater, and you and you now somehow are the concept is you're not safe. Um, would it? Would you feel more comfortable going? And would the violence that happens in that situation, the amount of people who are killed, and the fear and everything that it engenders, would it be greater to greater than or less than what it is now? So what I'm saying is. People live with this sense of righteousness that they can assuage their fear by owning a firearm if they so choose. Uh, and, and then, you know, and then other people live in fear of that idea. So if it switched, if the people weren't able to f- have that sense of confidence and, and, uh, uh, and, 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 and safety, you know, but the total number of kill- deaths was to drastically reduce. Would it be worth the sacrifice of those people living in fear? And would they then have to learn how to challenge their fear and and grow grow beyond it? Uh, so I, you know, it's a great question. You know, uh, it's it's a big it's a big if. Um, I think <laughs> it is a big if. No, I know. You used to say if frogs had wings, it wouldn't bump his ass a hopping. Yeah, it's. Um, you know, there's there's quite a few uh, tweets that have come across um, in regards to mental health, and I th- I think uh, I think that is um, that is a much graver uh, and and more serious issue uh, that doesn't make as much noise uh, technically as a as a firearm, but is perhaps responsible for a, a great deal of the problems we encounter with firearms. And I think uh, because we're so, what are you saying? Well, what I'm saying is we only got about ten minutes left in this show. I, I just want to suggest to you we're not doing the food thing. This I mean, this gun control. I, yeah. I want to suggest to you that yeah. we try to put tie a ribbon around where we are right now yeah. in, in this conversation uh, and how it 
it applies to mental health because I think what you want to say about food has uh, has a great deal to do with the general mental health uh, in this health. in this country. So uh, yeah. so for, for those Well, uh, listen, you know, our whole country it, when you talk to people on an individual level, even if they're in a, you know, bum f nowhere, when you talk to people, they generally you know, not all. Sometimes you talk to people and you go, man, that guy's just a dope. You know, that guy just does not get it. But most of the time you talk to people and you go, yeah, I understand this person's point of view. Like, I understand what, why, how it developed. I understand why they're holding it. I, I think it, like, in a greater context, maybe it doesn't make sense. But, but like, you, you kind of get – but then you look collectively as a society and on some level we are the greatest country in the world. We we are we have the most we've got Apple and I get my actually my iPhone's broken right now but but we, we you know what I mean we we have there's so much about our our country and our life that is that is incredible and that is enviable our our, our ability to move around the country our the 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 the, the, the education that is of like it's the potential that we know is there. That you don't have to wonder what it might be like. You sort of go like, well, if everybody had access to this thing that we know we have, what would it be? But in a lot of ways, holy mackerel, we are we are pretty dysfunctional. Agreed. Agreed. We agreed. Are pretty dysfunctional. And I, I think in in some ways, some people would argue that the, the the very framework of that sentence is representative of part of the problem. The greatest country in the world indicates inherently some sort of competition or some sort of comparison. And I I I would posit that we need to move towards the kind of attitude that that seeks to be able to say clearly and strongly the greatest world in the world. That we that we 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 think of each other as 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 a collective. To you think the rise are, of the nation state has played itself out, and now where it's time to be, to not have nations? I, but I feel that. like the idea of competition is the perfect uh, is the perfect thing to help foster um, the sort of uh, society that we have right now, where where there are haves. Yeah, I thought and you just said the opposite of that. I don't understand. Well, well, no, I'm saying the society that we have now that's frustrating and 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 difficult for the number of people. The the myth of competition that it is one against the other that we have to beat the other guy to the front of the line that we have to to make more In money. In baseball, than the other that's guy. good. In going to school where there's guns out there, it's bad. Agreed. Is that what you're saying? I mean, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. I'm saying. Well, I uh, the we got five minutes left. Um, I hope it's funny. You know, if people, if it was a four-hour show. Or if we had the constitutional scholar here, and I actually don't think the two of them would make the most interesting uh, uh, exchange. I Unless think one of them was armed. <laughs> the the jokes are so available, but the the um, you know la the, the the show the last week was a very liberal minded show, and this was a very conservative minded show in terms of, and so I you know we with this forum we have the ability to kind of allow for. Uh, you know, people to, to 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 not be a screaming, yelling guy like the guy at the beginning, where there is not you'll ne he, you're right. There will be no affinity between those two guys. Actually, you know what's funny? I, I bet those two guys end up being friends. Pierce Morgan and the other, and Alex Jones. The, the Morgan, I bet I bet they, see them. The Morgan's they're, Jones. They're, they're like uh, they're like Ali and uh, and and uh, what's his name? The uh, the the Al and, and Cosell and Howard Cosell. There, he's a foil. They they exist to promote each other. Well, there's they, a, you know, there's a there's. I mean, that's that's not an unreasonable argument. You know, the, the same could be said for uh, the two uh, political parties that we have. But if you're one of the families of the fallen, and you're and you're one of the people who can't kind of 
aren't ready to move past really focusing on on that um, and may only be ready to focus on it when you feel like something's been done about it and maybe the only way to tangible thing that's going to be done is to see some new law passed um, uh, you hope that that kind of um, bombacity and and um, you know th- th- carnival atmosphere it, it has its place but I just hope people know that that it's only a small part of the conversation and that they don't have to you know the few uh, who take their time to actually communicate with their representatives uh, you know I wish more people did uh, the points that are being made in the argument are plentiful on both sides and there's validity to both so you know maybe you know maybe Larry's right and you're not gonna get the philosophies to reconcile uh, but we have to find a way to live together you know because the even you know people just don't like the idea of it of the guns being there and some people like the idea of having the guns and and because the people who have the guns can kill the people who don't have the guns, it's the job of the government to step in and try and ameliorate the the problem. Because the government's job, I don't necessarily. And it's funny because both sides feel like the little guy. Both guys feel put upon. Both guys feel like, uh, hey, you're trying to take away something from me. Somebody feels like you're trying to take away my peace. Somebody else feels like you're trying to take away my peace. <laughs> I see what I did there with the guns. Yes, no, but somebody, somebody's trying to take away my guns. Somebody's trying to take away my peace of mind. Uh, and 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 the government's job is to protect me, and both people, both sides feel like you got, they need protection from the government. And uh, and and I actually think that at this point in the national argument, the people who need uh, the government to advocate more strongly is the people who are are fed up with the with the gun violence. They're the ones who are at least questing to try and find an answer. Maybe the clips isn't the answer. Maybe the, you know, I, you got to close the, the, the gun show loopholes. That's just ridiculous. Buying them online, maybe. I'm not sure about caliber. Whatever. So, you know, people, smart people who have the ability to pull these arguments out and then put them back together and look at them holistically, they need to, we need to, we as a, a voting set need to put those people in a room together and demand that they come out with a satisfactory solution. At gunpoint. At gunpoint. So the... Um, sorry. I'm real sorry. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah. Lost the thread of it now. <laughs> Sometimes these, uh, uh, these jokes are not really funny. Uh, well, no. <laughs> Why'd you look at me when you said that? <laughs> uh, there, were, there were several callers who called in, and I tried to uh, break into the conversation with Larry to take a few of them, and I felt like I was being rude to him, and, and I was rude to the people who ended up hanging up. So uh, it, it's, it's really, really a function of our technology here at Toad Hop, and we're gonna, we've been trying to work on it, and we'll keep trying to work on it uh, so that we can actually have a, a Somebody take the you know, take it and ask ask what your topic is. Put you on hold let's, like a proper show. Let's get fired up for next week though. We're going to have a very good conversation about what, my brother. We're going to talk about. Well, I want to spend at least fifteen minutes next week talking about the debt, the All national right, so debt. That's, that's but what 25. we're really going to talk about is food. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have I have had an epiphany. I have gone to. Uh, oh wait, oh last caller here. Hold on. Oh <laughs> uh, hey, you're on the air. We're just going playing the music. Who is this? My name's Ethan Parrots. Hey, Eden, go ahead and tell me what you got. We got to go quick. Give me your thought. Mint the coin. Say it again. Mint the coin. Mint the coin. The trillion dollar coin? Yes, exactly. Wow. Dude, 
What kind of guns are they going to have to have to protect that when it goes to Vegas? <laughs> <laughs> All right, mint the coin. Any you want to elaborate? Sorry, it'll only go down. It'll only go down the street. Change our change our debt. Get rid of the debt ceiling. Get rid of the hostage, and then we don't have to worry about Republicans screwing around with our nation again. Wait, okay. So you want to get rid of the debt ceiling altogether? It's a stupid idea. It's it's artificial. I know, well, but no, no, it doesn't... not if you can hold it in your hand, man, the coin, the no, coin. I feel like it doesn't, the debt ceiling is, you know, people, it's like tying a string around your finger, like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use that string to remind me not to spend more than I've allowed in my budget, and then you get more than your budget, you're like, okay, take the string off my finger, you know, so... Okay, but you're talking to an economist here, and frankly, your budget doesn't include the ability to print money, doesn't include the ability to issue debt, doesn't include the ability to define what money is in your country. Countries have this ability, and this is why they shouldn't be compared to, you know, you and I. You and I don't have the ability to say one day, well, you know, we're running out of money. Maybe we should stimulate the economy by increasing the money supply. We can't do that. Government can't. Are you uh, are, are you able to are you able to talk about the the debt and uh, and the kind of have you looked at the debtclot.org .org that has all those kind of clicking numbers that give you uh, a sense of what's going on in the country yep. and unemployment? Call oh, back yeah, call back next week and teach me about it, would you? I'd be happy to. All right, I look forward to your call. To, uh, send me a tweet and we'll direct message each other and we'll figure it out. Fabulous. All right, hey, another caller. Come on, we're getting so many callers. Go ahead, shoot. Well, it's about uh, gun control, clearly. All right, make your point. You get the last point on it, and then we're going to sign off. Go quick. Okay. Last word is that it's a matter of rights. It comes down to the Second Amendment, and federal government should stay the hell out of it. Leave it to the states. Succinctly put, the constitu constitutional caller, scholar basically agreed with you and said the states are given wide latitude to do these kind of things. All right. Thank you very much for your call. Take care. All right, ladies and gentlemen, food next week. We got to take care of how we're eating. We got to talk about how our government works with us with food and and how it's uh, uh, prepared and and everything. And I, I want recipes, so people call in with their best flan. That's a good call to make, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. I want to thank Johnny Ice, <laughs> and who's on the boards. I want to thank Mackenzie Aston, uh, the uh, my inspirational uh, co-host. And uh, I want to thank uh, I want to thank Larry Correa, uh, Correa for uh, his uh, his learned uh, contribution to the gun uh, conversation. And I want to thank the callers, the many callers, Natalie and and the others who who weighed in. Um, let's keep being civil with each other and let's fight for uh, some kind of common ground. That's. That's my uh, admonition to us all. Let's fight for common ground. But nicely, nicely. Nicely fight, yeah, with thumb war. Uh, you're listening to Vox Populi on the Toad, Hot ne Toad Hop Network. Uh, go to at host Vox Populi on Twitter and, uh, and talk to me, follow me, uh, tweet, you know, for, do me a favor and promote it to your followers and beyond. And uh, I think this show is uh, this a good show. Thanks very much, everybody. Aloha. You're listening to the Toad Hop Network, radio worth watching.